Hello, literacy leaders and champions. Welcome to Literacy Talks, the podcast series from Reading Horizons, dedicated to exploring the ideas, trends, insights, and practical issues that will help us create literacy momentum. Our series host is Stacy Hurst, professor at Southern Utah University and chief academic officer at Reading Horizons, where reading momentum begins. Joining Stacy are Donnell Pons, a recognized expert in literacy and special education, and Lindsay Kemeny, a Utah-based elementary classroom teacher. Today's topic is vocabulary and where it fits into successful early literacy instruction. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Literacy Talks. I'm your host, Stacey Hurst, and I'm joined every week by Donnell Pons and Lindsay Kemeny. And how lucky are we to be here? Today, we have a really fun conversation, a topic that I think is relevant to everyone, no matter what you're teaching or what your interest in literacy is. And Lindsay chose our topic this week. So we'll just get started, Lindsay. Okay, so Stacy, I might embarrass you a little bit, but when I first met you, what we're talking about today is something that I noticed right off was kind of a talent of yours is that you have a very robust vocabulary. And I even like some of the words you use are, you know, not in my expressive vocabulary, but some of them aren't even in my receptive vocabulary. And so I would hear you say words. And of course, you know, uh, I didn't want to let you know. So I just kind of smile and nod, like, I know what you're talking about. And then later I would look up the word. <laughs> so like uh, the word shibboleth, I think you used that a couple of times. I had to go look that up. Okay. I have a list, Stacey, that I've written down. Um, efficacious, pontificating, expeditious, acquiesced, cacophony, <laughs> all of these. And I want to know, how did you learn, you know, to have such a great vocabulary. Okay. I was muted for a lot of that, but I was (laughs) laughing out loud. Just so you know, listener, um, (laughs) you know what I have to say, I represent what we know from the science of reading that the best way to increase your vocabulary is through reading. And clearly reading has been my jam ever since I could read. So we're talking about the age of four or five, but I I also, Lindsay, I was really relating <laughs> to what you were saying because I've done that with people so many times before. I think it's just a word curiosity, right? Like I like words and to be word consciousness is what we call it. But I do kind of have a funny story that will not make me look so good. But um, I wonder how much this contributed. When I was in junior high, middle school, junior high, we had a rule that you couldn't chew gum. (laughs) If you got caught chewing gum, then you had to copy pages out of the dictionary. That was the consequence. (laughs) So that's why you know so many words. (laughs) Actually, I really think that is part of it because I chose to chew gum and pay the consequence. Um, So I would, there were times that I would literally write pages ahead of time because I knew (laughs) that I was going to probably get, you know, asked to do that. So I think it's just, yeah. And I I know lots of other people with bigger vocabularies. So I'm flattered, Lindsay, (laughs) but I just like words. 
Yes. Well, because of you, Stacey, I made a personal goal to improve my vocabulary. And so I started, you know, I found a website that emails me every day, a word of the day. (laughs) And so I, you know, try to, you know, read that, read the definition of that word, try to use it if I can. It was so fun because I got my students involved. I told my students how I'm trying to get a better vocabulary. And so then they were asking, oh, well, what's the word of the day? What's the word of the day? And the, the first day I'm like, well, it's prosaic. And they're all, you know, what's that? What's prosaic? And I said, well, it's kind of when something's like the same every day, kind of dull, not very exciting. And one of my students goes, oh, so like school is prosaic. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, no, not like that at all. And then I have another student that raises his hand and he says, you mean like Mrs. Kemeny's class is not prosaic? And I was like, yes, exactly. Um, so anyways, let's talk about this a little bit. Sometimes I have, uh, I hear, especially lower grade teachers talk about how they don't have time for vocabulary instruction uh, and how, you know, we really spend so much time on those lower strands of Scarborough's reading rope, decoding and phonemic awareness. And of course, that's so important, but it's also really important that we don't neglect those upper strands of the rope. So So let's talk a little bit about why vocabulary instruction is so important to teaching reading. Donnell, do you want to answer that question? Great question, Lindsay. I get one of those questions also Uh instead of being able to talk about my vocabulary. (laughs) You have a great vocabulary too, Donnell. (laughs) No no offense taken. Uh, You know, it's interesting because I just thought back to when I was raising children, my mother was an educator too. So it's, it's interesting. My introduction to words, to language, to reading was through my mother. And my mom was a voracious, for lack of uh, looking for another word, voracious reader. And I remember being just very little when my mother would grab a, what we call them garbage sacks, they're really the grocery bag, and you would fold them up and use them as a garbage sack, and would grab a couple of those and head down to the library once a week. And we would be there for hours. My mother would go to one section, we would go to another, you'd load up the bag, and then we would take them home. And so that I had an early love of reading, reading and understanding words. They're just there's no division between the two. They're interconnected, right? The words on the page give meaning. That's the whole point. Uh, pictures oftentimes are helpful, and we talk a lot about using pictures as a bridge for older students too, who are learning English as another language, perhaps. And you're using pictures as a bridge for language for a time, but really the words carry the meaning, and that's where you're really going to get into the depth of a story, and you learn that quickly. Pretty early on, you learn quickly that the picture's only giving you so much. Even little children start to learn very quickly that, well, oh, there's a whole lot more going on here as they start to figure out what the words are telling them. And that's the importance of teaching vocabulary. To me, like Stacy said, they go hand in hand. If you like to read, then you're getting context. And that's another meaningful piece of vocabulary is when you're receiving context for words, then that's providing some sense of the meaning of a word. So all of these things we're going to be talking about, you can't really pull them apart too far. They really go together. And even teaching a student how to spell a word, there's meaning when you're teaching how to spell a word. I can't imagine learning to spell a word without knowing what it means. They go that closely together. That's how I'm feeling anyway. Yeah. Vocabulary and comprehension is so connected. You know, my third son has dyslexia. And so I'm a better decoder than he is. But when we sat down, this was probably last year in fifth grade, he's really interested in black holes. And so we were reading a book about 
black holes. And we're reading this passage and we're coming across all these words, quasars and all these other things. And I struggled to understand that passage and he was explaining it to me. So even though I could like physically decode the words better, he understood that passage better because he had learned so much already about black holes and space uh, that his comprehension was better than mine. And he was explaining to me what I'm like, okay, so wait, what is a quasar? Let me read that again. You know, Stacey, were you going to say something? Yeah. What you said was just descriptive of that. Research, like I said, states that the best way to grow your vocabulary is through reading. But before that, that's why, to your question about why teach it in the early grades, why focus on it, we need to do that verbally, right? So that you can make those connections. And your son just demonstrated that perfectly. I know he's not in the early grades, but that's why we do it. So they have that vocabulary by the time they can decode, they can make those connections quickly. And you do, you need to understand at least 90 to 95% of every word on the page to have a decent or an adequate amount of comprehension. So it's important that we build that early on. And I like, Stacy, what you were saying about the verbal. It's a part of your life, even for yourself when you were younger, you don't remember most of us, right? Those, those years of being a one, two, three, four, five, lots of people think they have memories before they were three, but that's, that's reaching and stretching to think we have those memories. Mine don't really kick in till about six, seven, even eight, probably, if I want to have a real steady memory. But there's so much that's being laid down for someone prior in that time period with verbal language, like you say. And that's why they say when you have young kids, you should talk as much as you can to them, always be talking. And I think it's kind of interesting. At my, I have these four children, and they didn't watch a whole lot of television. We, you know, they got teased a lot that we didn't have a whole lot of technology when they were younger. It's so hard now today with all the technology to keep that out of your kids' lives. But at the time, it wasn't all that difficult. And we moved quite a bit. We didn't want to have a big TV, so it just didn't seem to be a part of our lives. The kids spent a lot of time outside. And I remember my kids coming home from school. So they had a vast knowledge of things because we would just talk all the time. We were just talking all the time, talking about what we were doing outside talking inside. It was fantastic. But they came home from school one day, and, and my daughter says to me, she was just young, and she says to me, yes, the kids at school today were talking about the fact that we don't have a television. And one of them was trying to say, well, what he was trying to say is that we were Amish, but he didn't know the word. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. He's trying to say we were Amish, but he didn't know the word. <laughs> That's that importance, you say, of having conversation, right? Like, Stacy, you were mentioning. Yes, and that leads into what I wanted to talk about next, which is how students learn vocabulary words, because there's kind of two different ways. We can learn through direct instruction, and we can learn through indirect learning. And the majority of the words students are going to learn will be through that indirect learning. So like Donnell is talking about the oral language piece and the conversations. How else can we encourage that indirect learning of of words? Do you know what? One of my very favorite practices, and I teach my students in every reading class, they always have an assignment related to dialogic reading because that is built right in that you're focusing on the vocabulary and conversation about the book. So it's a read aloud, an interactive experience that you can think ahead and be very intentional about. So I think that's one really great way to do it. Yes, that's awesome. Um uh, with the reading, that was one thing with my son because they had silent reading time in the classroom when he was in third grade, but he could only, at that time, he could only, you know, actually decode very, very beginner books. And so it was really important to us that he was allowed to listen to audiobooks during that time because that would expose him to more complex vocabulary, grade level 
and, uh, you know, more critical thinking skills and that kind of thing. So if we don't work on that at the same time, then if we get the reading caught up, we don't want the vocabulary to be way behind or the comprehension. I'm going to chime in there with you, Lindsay, about just making sure that you're allowing students, what you did is you played to your son's strengths, and that's really important to do, right? We don't all come with the same background and the same abilities, and so you leaned into a skill of your that your son has. I have a son who has dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. We've talked about that before, and I did the very same thing. He had a real affinity for spoken language, and he had a love of hearing stories, and so we played played to that strength. That was ear reading. We called it ear reading. It was just as important as eye reading. And it got every bit as much support at home. And we taught, we championed it. And his ability to be able to, you know, navigate subjects, that was so great because of all that knowledge, that background knowledge he'd been gaining by ear reading all through the years when we were trying to catch up with the eye reading. So I love hearing that story. Stacy, you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to um, share a statistic, if you don't mind. Because I think it's really important that we're reading aloud. I don't really know anybody who argues with that. I don't. And if they do, I would just smile at them and say, have a good day, I guess. (laughs) That's really, you know, that's like arguing that comprehension isn't important to reading. But as teachers in those early grades, we are so focused oftentimes on making sure that they can read the words on the page, which is the number one contributor in those grade levels to reading comprehension. They have to be able to decode accurately in those grade levels. That's the number one contributor to reading comprehension. After that, it is vocabulary. Once they can decode, vocabulary and background knowledge are the greatest contributors to reading comprehension after we can decode. But this um, research is in, the one I'm referencing is by Hayes and Ahrens, and it's a 1988 study. So I would love to know, maybe somebody out there knows if there's been a more recent study, but this is the um, frequency of rare words in printed text, television, and speech. Do you remember hearing about this study? So in scientific journal abstracts, which we've all read plenty of, there are 128 rare words per every thousand words. And I feel it sometimes, depending on the research study I'm reading, there are more than that. There really are, and that's where you can look up and grow your vocabulary, right? Um, Newspapers, which, again, the study was done in 1988, so a little archaic there, had 68 rare words per thousand. Children's books had 30 rare words per thousand, and that was significantly greater than any TV show or even rare words in adult speech. Interesting. Yeah. So we really want to promote those vocabulary rich classrooms and we can use sophisticated words, you know, during just our classroom routines. Uh, For example, we have our big, you know, kind of basal reader. Uh, Instead of saying, get out your big book, (laughs) I say, get out your anthologies. And I remember at the beginning of the year, all the kids are looking at each other, like, what is an anthology, you know, but now they know and they can use that word. And I saw this great article, we'll have to link it in our show notes, and it's by Holly Lane and Stephanie Allen called The Vocabulary Rich Classroom. And it gives lots of ideas for how to model sophisticated words. And so it gives ideas for like in your, like for supplies in your classroom, you can use words like distribute, replenish. You know, if you're walking in a line, you can use words like approach, adjacent, proceed, 
in group time, when you're working in groups, you can use words like articulate, elaborate, determine, you know, and it has several different ones. And so I was thinking of maybe just choosing one, you know, maybe a different one every day and writing it up in the corner in the back of my room or something. So I would remember and to use that word. So I thought there was some good advice in that article. So let's talk about what types of words we should teach. And I love um, the book, Bringing Words to Life, Um, Isabel Beck and uh, I don't know how to say McEwen. I'm not sure how to say her name. Um, Anyway, they talk about tier one, tier two, tier three words. Does anyone want to give us just a a brief rundown of of what those are? Okay. So tier one words are are kind of those everyday words that that the students are already encounter all the time. Uh, Tier two words, these are words that are not too difficult to explain to young children. And they have a, a wide range of you know high utility words. And then we have tier three words, which are going to be very content specific, like when I was talking about black holes and, and quasars. So when we're thinking about which words we should teach, we want to uh, focus on those tier two words. Now, of course, if you have English learners in your classroom, they're going to need a lot of instruction in the tier one words. But tier two is kind of, you know, where they they suggest spending a lot of our time. So we're moving now to kind of more of that direct instruction. So what are some best practices when it comes to our direct instruction, our vocabulary instruction? Well, Isabel Beck is a great resource for this too. And Anita Archer, um, we always have to defer to her. Repetition is a really important thing. Kid-friendly definitions and then examples and non-examples are really helpful. Yes. Okay. That student-friendly definition. I just remember my kids bringing home this word list of vocabulary words that they had to memorize or learn from school and they would have the dictionary definitions. And sometimes they were more complicated than the word themselves. And so, you know, it's so important to kind of figure out how to change that definition to a kid-friendly one. So I have an example where I looked up electricity, okay, in the normal dictionary. And it said, a fundamental form of energy observable in positive and negative forms that occurs naturally or is produced and that is expressed in terms of the movement and interaction of electrons. I mean, if I would tell my second graders that, they would be, what? I have no idea what that means. And that is one of our vocabulary words this week. And then versus, I found this great website that gives you student-friendly definitions. And it said, the power that is carried by wires, cables, uh, used to provide lighter heat to make machines work, etc. Like that's so much, so much easier to understand. I love that because they used they in the def, dictionary definition they used a lot of tier three words, right? I know. I mean, they have observable, fundamental, positive and negative forms occurs. I mean, and yeah. some of those are tier two, but some yeah are very specific to that that field. No pun intended. Um, you know what I'm wondering uh, if you have found a, either of you have found a good curriculum resource that will help aid in vocabulary development. So I don't want to answer the curriculum one. Maybe Lindsay, I'll give you a chance to think, but I did have a thought on when you were talking about dictionary and dictionary friendly, child friendly, using the dictionary definitions. And that is also 
having your students understand that when they look up a word, whether it's going to be online or they're in a physical book of some kind, how to interpret what they're looking at in a dictionary. That's something we don't talk about much anymore. So I have students oftentimes who say, yeah, I looked it up, but it had like six definitions. Which one do I use? And they didn't understand that they're in rank from the most used definition or the most common occurring on down. So just understanding the information that they're finding when they look up a word, that isn't really talked about much. At least I'm having a lot of students that are now older that said that was never explained to me. And that's really important. That's as important as providing the definition is where did I get it? How did I prioritize what I what I have with it? The other thing is it tells you parts of speech too. So there, there are lots of pieces of information you're getting about a word when you look it up, either in a dictionary, like I said, a hard copy, or online and all that information is important. Stacey, you want to say something? Just really quickly. I think I've talked about this student before. He's a student that I tutored and oh man, I just, I just think happy thoughts when I think of this kid, but he has dyslexia and he was in junior high when I was tutoring him. His go-to for figuring out what any word meant was to put it in Google and then hit images. So pictures are also important to help build vocabulary. Um, ideally, he would be able to decode the words and have that, you know, that connection. But that is also when we're talking about teaching those dictionary skills, Donnell, using all of our resources and technology helps with that a lot too. I, I would just put a warning out on that. If you're going to do that, preview those words first before they search them on Google because we just had at our school last week where they put in a word that you wouldn't think anything bad would come up. And they had some pornographic images come up and it was this. So you just got to preview and see what's there. Make sure you have Google safe search, but even that's not perfect. But so So uh, curriculum resources, Lindsay, do you have? Okay. Yes. Well, I, I found one recently, but first I mentioned that dictionary. So let me just tell you the name of that. It's the Longman Dictionary of Contemporary English Online. And that's where I was putting in words and it was the definitions were so much simpler. A great resource I found are these text talk lessons, and they were written by a group of teachers from Utah, and they just go through, you know, a lot of children's literature, and it has a lesson for each one. So they choose, you know, maybe five or six words for each text, and it goes through uh, the lesson plan just as it's described in the book, Bringing Words to Life. And so I think that's just a great resource. It's a great collection. So we will add that link as well. That, you know, I do remember hearing about that and I agree. I think that is fantastic. I just want to share, I think it's out of print, but really well done. In fact, Isabel Beck, uh, either she authored it or was a consultant on it, but way back in the day, Rigby, which we don't even hear of that company hardly ever anymore. They had an elements of literacy program and The thing I liked about it is you could buy, it was the five areas that the National Reading Panel said, you could buy separate curricular (laughs) content for each um, area, but they had a really great vocabulary one and it had pictures and it had kid-friendly definitions and you even had a chart in your classroom that every week kids would do tally marks for how many times they use the five words that you're focusing on for the week. And I thought the really powerful thing was the examples and the non-examples, kind of like we do with some versions of the Freyer model, how you have them come up with a non-example that almost helps cement the definition better than the example does sometimes. I really learned the importance of that when I was doing that word of day 
thing for myself because I would read the word and the definition. And I was like, wait, I've got, I need more examples of how to use this in a sentence. So it was kind of fun to see that myself, like how important that is. Okay. Then it's really important for these students, for these words that are brand new to them to see how you can use them examples. And as you said, non-examples. Now I wanted to add, I love all of these examples that I, and I work with older students too. That's usually who I'm working with and they can be of all ages. I'm doing middle school, high school, college, adult. And what's interesting is I can't do vocabulary without doing grammar and taking our, my students through sentence structure too. So mine are just closely linked. They're just together all the time. And one of the books that I've always leaned into is Help Your Kids with Language Arts. It's a fantastic book. And I picked it up at Costco years ago, but it's laid out so well. And we'll leave this in the notes too, so that people, I think Amazon did have a few copies. I've mentioned it to people, but what it does, it's such a nice way of taking you through introducing, talking about just individual words, then a couple of words in a sentence, and then adding more words to a sentence, and how all of those words working together creates meaning within a sentence. And I can't tell you what an eye-opener, of course, with any good, full, robust program that's hitting all of the high points in structured literacy, right? We don't do anything individually. But when you put that in together, it is such a game-changer for older folks, even students that are fourth, fifth, sixth grade, where a lot of these components were missing for them. Nobody really put the pieces together uh, that they can finally start making sense of sentences that then make sense of a paragraph that then turns into being able to understand a whole page. You can change subject. Maybe this is a subject I'm unfamiliar with and you can use the same technique. Let's talk about the words that are in this sentence. Let's get some meaning for some of these words. What do they mean when they're with each other in this sentence? What do we think this sentence means? What do we think these two sentences mean? Three sentences, this paragraph leading into the next paragraph game changer for a lot of students. So all of these things, as we all know, are tied so closely together in what overall in the end is comprehension, right? Being able to understand is so great. I love that, Donnell. Such a good reminder. It's not just the words themselves, but how they work in the sentence and then a couple sentences. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. When we think about that four-part processing model, and we do, or as adults, that part is pretty automatic for us. I know our brains go through possible definitions and then use the context to decide which one really fast. I also am wondering, um, and Donnell, I think you've done this with students you've worked with too, the link between morphology and vocabulary. Get all the resources discussed during Literacy Talks podcast episodes and stay up to date about webinars and other special events from Reading Horizons. Go to readinghorizons.com slash literacy talks and subscribe to our podcast digest so you're always in the know about everything literacy. So, okay, let's talk about this, the lesson. So we're kind of talking about some best practices for this direct vocabulary instruction. We talked about, we want to start with a student-friendly definition, and then we want to give lots of examples and non-examples. And then another thing to remember is that we want the students to interact with the examples, to have, you know, a lot of practice with that. So uh, let's talk about some ways students can interact with vocabulary words. I have a few ideas while you guys are thinking, and then if you have something to add, uh, I have, um, I went, I visited another teacher and she had just this 
little bell at the front of a room. And any of the time one of the kids used that week's vocabulary words in a sentence or, you know, any time in a conversation, they got to come up and ring the bell. <laughs> and I thought that was really cute. Um, when I went to Plain Talk, I got this idea where the students could do little skits with the, their vocabulary words. So I just took, you know, I put two vocabulary words on an index card and then I had like six different cards and I just randomly passed them out to each group. And then together they had to come up with a skit where they had to use those two vocabulary words and then they performed them. And that was so fun. They loved it. And sometimes they might use the word a little bit incorrectly. So, you know, I had to kind of help model for them the, the right way to use that. Do you guys have any ideas? Yeah. So, you know, again, working with older students, and this can also be, uh, you know, you can do a modification on this assignment and maybe use it with even younger students. I've used it on very young students too, modifying it. But I, because my first love is as a reporter and writing, I think there's no better way to really understand the written word than to write a piece like it's going to be in the newspaper because you bring it right down to the nuts and bolts. You want all of the information that's pertinent and salient. You got to answer those questions about who, what, when, where, why, and how right in that first paragraph. And so you get the inverted pyramid there where you have all that good tight information at the top. And then we can have the details coming down to the bottom. And I like to have my students, we'll pick uh, a subject matter that has our vocabulary that we've been working with that's related to the subject. And then we're going to write an article. It's a quick one. We might do three paragraphs that's going to be related to that topic that uses our vocabulary. This also gets into using some of the morphology that Stacy was mentioning, because some of the words, maybe the base of the word, I want to make that into a verb. I want it to be active. So I'm going to be adding a suffix, ing, and how that's going to change my word and also the part of speech. So it might also even alter meaning sometimes. We can talk about that. It's a fantastic way. And again, it's three paragraphs, but it's a really nice way of your students not only getting some writing exposure, but they're using the words, which we all know once you're really using that word, it can become yours. And they're being able to write with it. And then you're getting some morphology in there. It kind of brings everything together. Plus, I love doing it. It's so much fun. I love that, Donnell. Okay, I do something similar, but just for the last month, I've kind of become obsessed with Nancy Fetzer. And she has like a writing curriculum and she has all these free writing videos on her website. And she has a I don't know what to call it, technique, practice called Word Masters to Movie Scripts. And I've just started doing this where we take, we're going to become word masters on some of our vocabulary words for that week. So I'll choose three of the words. I try to have them be verbs is what she suggests. And then we create kind of a, it's a movie script, but really just a story, beginning, middle, end. And we're going to use three of the words that were in our story this week, but we're going to use them in a new context, which is really great to give them extra exposure. And then they get to write the story and they're using those words. So I get to say, oh, now you're word masters because once you've used that word and written it, you know, you're a word master. So that's, that's been fun. I love that. And that tie to writing will again, get that word in their long-term memory in so many different ways too. I was doing a workshop, a couple of weeks ago with adults and we were learning the word indelible because it's in a Robert Munch story that I never remember the title to. Um, but there's a repeated phrase in there, indelible markers that never come off. I can't remember it. Darn, I wish I could because that would sound so much smoother than it just did. <laughs> but the word indelible at the root of it is D-E-L, which is related to delete. 
So indelible, you can't delete it, right? And once we made that anchor, then we talked about ways that students could respond to that. So you have it in the story, you're going to pre-teach it, and then they can write about something that was indelible in their lives, right? So I love all of that. All great suggestions. Um, I want to just go teach kids all these things right now. (laughs) Um, One last thing I wanted to mention. Um, If you've heard of Freddie Hebert... She has a book called Teaching Words and How They Work, and she's done a lot with vocabulary. And I just want to share this quote that she has said, where she said, words aren't individual islands floating by themselves. And so she really um, talks about teaching words as networks. Like instead of these isolated words, think of how you can group them and how they're connected. And she has a great website. Everything on it is free. Uh, I think it's textproject.org. And she'll have groups, like she'll have super synonym sets, like for stories. She'll talk about, you know, narrative text and how all the words that mean think. And you could choose several off, you know, that are all kind of related or emotion words. Sorry, I said think, but that was an example of a communication word or emotion words or movement or traits. Anyways, a wealth of resources. You can kind of go down a rabbit hole on her her website, but everything's free and there's a lot of great information there. But I just think that's important to remember something I want to work on better is connecting those words and not just teaching isolated words. Yeah. And Freddie Hebert is an unsung hero. I recommend that website. She has a lot of information about text complexity that helped me a lot as a classroom teacher, but also as a literacy coach. So that's a really great resource. Awesome. Well, this was a great episode. I Thank you, you guys, for sharing all your ideas. And hopefully that wasn't an overload of ideas for everyone, but um, we'll put a lot of those links in our, our show notes, our newsletter, so you can have them. Yeah. And we will be so happy to hear from you what works in your classroom with the students that you're teaching as far as vocabulary goes. Thank you, Lindsay, for this great topic. And hopefully everybody found something that they can apply tomorrow. We'll see you next time on Literacy Talks. Thanks for listening to Literacy Talks, the podcast series for literacy leaders and champions everywhere. Literacy Talks comes to you and your colleagues from Reading Horizons, where reading momentum begins. Visit readinghorizons.com slash literacy talks often for resources, ideas, and great literacy learning conversations. Subscribe to our podcast digest, and you'll always be up to date on all things literacy. See you next time.